Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. Now you all are in the studio. In the studio. So... Special event, Kari Frazier here with Detroit is different and offering a different look at Detroit. I'm actually on location, Source Booksellers. This is one of the stores that has been around. And if you know anything about me, you know I love business. And I think that the success of a business is not how much money you make. It's not the people a part of it. It's not the connections and what people say and how many Instagram followers and all of that. I think a business is successful if it's been in business the longest time. Longevity. And this is one of the businesses that has stayed through a lot of iterations of the stuff happening in and around the city of Detroit and definitely even in this pocket because it's a lot of businesses that I thought would be around. That have come and gone, huh? Yes. Yeah. But to stay in business is a heck of a testament, especially black woman-led business to stay around. That's even, right. even more of a uh, phenomenal feat. So connecting Detroit is different to that. You all can check my archives and see when they showed up with books and all of that good stuff. But also, this is a place to buy some books. I'm reading the Grant Hill book right now, but there's so many more books than that. I'm just reading that book. You don't have to read it, but you can come here, tap into some knowledge, tap into some real books. Bookstores can still exist. They still do exist, yes. and I'm so grateful for this one. Yeah. And the bookstore kind of was the concept because I have a poet, someone that is with the words, writing them, speaking them, saying them, adding creativity, and a legacy, legacy person. So it's it's oozing in her veins. It's, it's going all through her. Gia Scott Heron, how are you today? I am blessed, blessed and highly flavored, and glad to be here with you. Glad okay. to be here in the city of Detroit. Yes. Yeah, glad to be out the rain. Because <laughs> okay. it's raining over in my part of the country right now. It's pretty mm -hmm. crazy. But yeah, I'm I'm blessed. I'm glad to be with you guys. Well, thank you so much. And we actually have a, 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 a intimate audience here. I did like one of those like invites to the people I knew. And I said, hey, pull up, come check out what we're working on, what we're going to do today, because this will be an interesting interview that we want to have captured so. uh, moving forward. So I usually start Detroit is different interviews with what brought your people to Detroit. So because you are Cali, and we respect Cali, but your family got roots here, especially your pops. Right. What's the relationship between your family and specifically your father in the city of Detroit? Sure. Um, little known fact, my dad's dad, Gil Heron, uh, actually moved to the city of Detroit uh, by way of Canada. They migrated from Jamaica, and they first, my understanding is that they first uh, went to Canada, and then he was the first to come over to the city of Detroit, and then one by one he brought his siblings over. And uh, But he worked at General Motors for, an, I believe, in excess of 30 years. Mm. And he had, you know, his home here. And um, when he, you know, after he split from my grandmother, my dad's mom, he got remarried and had my two uncles and my aunt. Uh, so Dennis and Kenny Heron, uh, may they both rest in peace and power. And my aunt Gail Heron, who's still alive and with us. So okay, blessed Definitely. to have her. So yeah. Okay, so that means that you Detroiters, if you were walking around and you're like, man, that kind of looks like Gil Scott Heron, you probably may have seen a family member, and, and, and it was probably yeah, no, because the resemblance was unreal. Like <laughs> if you see a picture of my grandfather Gil Heron, and you look at my uncle Dennis Heron, Kenny Heron. Or my dad, they all look like photocopies of one another. It is insane. The family resemblance is so strong. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, very likely. Okay, and, and for you, California. Mm -hmm. um, and when we think Cali uh, and, and, and what that connection is, mm -hmm. what do you think it was about California as your dad definitely spent some time in the Midwest? What made him want to go west? And what would he speak of when he would think of this way and this part of the country and 
saying, you know what, I think that this may be a better place to start, family, grow, uh, live creatively. Oh, yeah, no. The only thing that brought him to uh, L.A. was my mom. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and the fact that, 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 that that's can where she yeah, <laughs> was born and raised. Um, my mom's side of the family, they came from Louisiana. And then when my mom was two months old, they moved to California first in Northern California in Richmond and then ultimately in Los Angeles. So that's where my parents met was at the mm-hmm. Roxy in Los Angeles. So, um, but once they got married, they actually, my first three years of my life, after I was born in LA. Okay. So, you know, Cedar Sinai Hospital, so I'm on birth certificate. But um, <laughs> after that, we went right back to. Alexandria, Virginia. Hmm. My dad had actually purchased a home, uh, the home of Roberta Flack. He purchased the home from her, and that's where my family lived uh, until 1983. Hmm. And then when my parents split, my mom, my, mo- my mom and I moved back to Los Angeles, and my dad went to New York. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, with that, in artistry, mm-hmm. uh, you carry this legacy too. Uh, your Your father is one of the giants when we think of poetry uh, and, and then just even some of the quotes, some of the words, uh, the inspirations, even promoting this event. I had so many people like just even send like emails saying, you know, his work kept me through this or was an anchor in that. Mm. Um, you now are in this space too creatively. Uh, was it the inspiration of your father or was it something in you as well that, you know, has committed you into this artistry of poetry? Okay, well, basically, um, I've heard so many um, wonderful anecdotes of uh, people. And yeah, same thing, my inbox gets flooded, especially after he passed away. But yeah, just in the years since, so many people say, oh man, your father's music got me through addiction. Your father's music got me through my divorce. Your father's music... Uh, help me meet my wife you know your father's music like was playing you know uh at you know this you know event and you know just different milestones for people and and the meaning that my you know dad's you know how my how much he meant to them and so you know it is just very humbling and just um it's just amazing to you know think about how many lives my father touched so it's a huge responsibility but when my father passed away I felt like somebody has to carry this on like I mean if it were up to the powers that be they would put his music catalog in a coffin and bury it right beside him if they could so um yeah I said someone has to be the steward and uh take the baton and and keep the marathon continues right Mm -hmm. so yeah the legacy continues as well so as as i always tell people i don't have scripted questions i have a conversation with detroit is different and you just touched on something that opens up a conversation gateway for me you said if it were up to the powers that be your father's work would be buried beside him Mm um so that that opens up a world of questions for me. It's like, okay, first off, um, was this something, how did, did you see this yourself? Uh, did your father share this information with you? Uh, was this more like a music industry looking to suppress your father's uh, artistry and his voice? Was this, furthermore, it could be more nefarious. Was it like the government looking to suppress your father's voice? Was it possibly other other performers and people in that industry how uh, and 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 was it shared with you from his perspective or was this something that you've seen and witnessed yourself so i know i asked right. a lot of questions so right. let's start with one um how did your father uh acknowledge that his work was being suppressed and when did you when did he open up and just even share that information with you no, that was not a conversation that we had. It's just something that when you pay attention, you know. Hmm. Um, Clive Davis wanted my dad to keep making hits like The Bottle and The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. And it's kind of like he was more 
interested in making money than making music that matters. And so, you know, in terms of they just had a difference of opinion in that regard. He wanted my dad to keep, you know, making the charts. And my dad wanted to keep hearing, you know, following the callings of the spirits. So it was whatever they told him to write. He didn't dictate. They told him. So I don't know. Um, But it was just clear, uh, just from what I've been told since my father passed away, um, how he first became addicted to crack cocaine Hmm. was that it allegedly, it's a plant. Um, Just this white guy that ended up having, like my mom just started seeing him at every single one of my dad's shows everywhere. And he always had access to the green room backstage and always had unfettered access to my dad. And before you know it, he would have his arm around my dad's shoulder and they'd be making their way to someplace more private and then my dad would come back altered. Hmm. Now, when you speak about this, and I like how you presented that because you're, you're just speaking from the stories you've heard and, and, and things that have been witnessed. Mm-hmm. And you also me- mentioned a, um, a, a giant, as, as it's dictated, in the music industry um, and a, a heavy influencer, I'm going to use the now modern term, right. in pop culture of Clive Davis. Um, I, I'm definitely not saying that, uh, as they say, Correlation does not necessarily mean that causation exactly right, but uh, it, it has been even documented and spoken on before that a lot of artists that were very successful in working with Clive Davis have struggled with many drug addictions. Uh, one of my uh, one of my big homies, another one uh, that passed away, uh, rest in peace, Queen Mother Ocean Daru uh, Nefertiti L. Her 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 brother wrote a lot of hits for the dramatics and the dramatics at the time would uh were one of the artists that worked with uh that worked with clive davis for for a couple of records so uh he wrote uh what you see is what you get he wrote in the rain he wrote uh he wrote a couple others but um her belief was definitely and i know she just shared this candidly that people that were associated with um clive davis maybe not him specifically uh, led to that, but also Clive's relationship with Sly Stone, uh, mm-hmm. another one of the funk legends. Right. Also, Clive's relationship with Whitney Houston, like, right. and I mean, these are a couple. I mean, so when we look at this, and and I've also interviewed some uh, some other active entertainment attorneys, not not like Mr. Reed, that's in the audience now. Reed actually gave one of the richest interviews I have. You need to check that archive. But um, <laughs> another one, and 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 speaking about that presence of mind. Mm-hmm to make decisions um, if a person is struggling with addiction and what that does and the way that so many artists, as, as I've heard, because, you know, the, 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 the response I got from this executive in, in person and it was sometimes the artist needs to get up and then they need to get down. Then you get up, then you get down. Meaning that, you know, you, you need a, a, a drug for up and a drug for down because of the stresses connected to being that traveling performer. You may have a tour with, um, you know, you may go through in 30 days, you may be in 20 different cities. Sure. Uh, you're on a bus. You right. may not be getting necessarily a good restful sleep. Right. Uh, I didn't even hear about some of the, some of the opioid-related drugs that have been said to be the substances substances that uh, Michael Jackson, uh, Prince, and right. Whitney Houston Prince, were taking. Yeah. And I know I'm giving a lot of context before I lead to this, but I want to because I'm not even giving a clear gate. But do you believe that a performer is when when connected to entities where they're making so much money? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, do you think it, it to to be that stretched out, to be that persistence in in this space, um, is that healthy for a, a natural body without anything else? And then, furthermore, 
what role and responsibility do you think that uh, entities working with that artist should play? And that could be not just a record label. I could be an agent. I could be a manager. I could be a, a publicist. I could be, a, you know, a traveling manager. Like, what relationship do I have to keep the artists paid, but also to keep them healthy? Right. Um, well, there's a lot packed in that. Um, but there's a lot of things that are natural substances that can do just as good as not better as substitutes for mm -hmm. drugs that they pump people with. But they're not going to give you those things. They're going to keep you dependent on the bad stuff. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? They don't, because, you know, you could get B12 or B6 or Ginkoba. Um, or ginseng or echinacea your damn self but if it's by prescription and you need to rely on somebody else to procure it for you and you're dependent on that then and there's more money in keeping you dependent than it is for you to independently you know what I mean feed yourself the right things or you know have a nutritionist or someone that helps you with that so I mean There's a lot of interests, self-interests, that will prevent them from doing the right thing because that's too much like right, and that doesn't benefit them. If it doesn't make them dollars, then it doesn't make sense, and they'd rather do the nefarious thing and keep that money rolling because it is a money-making industry you know what I mean and then there are things like for you know when an artist has a cold or uh, I saw Cat Williams once uh, he was saying that he had broken his arm or something like that but they gave him a Percocet and something else and he's like he's like ninjas I feel like I could crash through a wall right now like I could you know I could break a brick wall and you know he just so it was like yeah he's like I don't feel nothing right now in this arm so it was just like it was they were laughing but it was like I mean is that really like a good thing like but I mean yeah the show must go on you know you're not gonna say oh let's cancel the show and you know lose out on however many thousands of dollars because you broke your arm no we're gonna prop you up we're mm -hmm. gonna give you this stuff and you're gonna go out there and you're gonna kill it so and i guess that's where i'm asking you should the show go on always i mean it depends you know what i mean i think it's a case-by-case -case thing it depends on you know how severe the illness or injury is to say, you know, but if it's if it's like the flu then or like COVID, heaven mm -hmm. forbid, then yeah, cancel it. But if it's like a mild cold and the doctor feels like it's not that bad and just drink some lemon and honey tea or whatever and, you know, don't talk too much before the show, you know, you have to go based on common sense, I guess, and what the experts say, you know, depending on what you've been diagnosed with or what injury you've sustained. I can't say a blanket statement like, oh, the show must always go on or, oh, the show can never go on. It's, it's you know, it depends on what it is. And that's, that's why you should have good representation when you are an artist because you should have Most the representation definitely. that has different clauses in that space. And it's, it's unique. We're speaking about this a couple weeks after the Super Bowl and the halftime performance from Rihanna, yeah. which during the performance, you even saw like the trending tweets saying, oh, Rihanna's fat. Rihanna looks fat. What's going on? She's not even dancing. She's not right. giving a good performance. And then people are right. like, okay, is Rihanna pregnant? And then if she's pregnant, then what happens from there? Uh, the, the, the idea. The comparisons to Cardi B and Beyonce and yeah. others who were pregnant and still gave show-stopping performances. Exactly. And this is like, but these are the, the but things. But she's not them. Everyone has yes. to, you know, everyone has their yeah. own individual person. They have their own strengths and they have, you know, and every pregnancy is different too. Let's keep that real. Let's not act like every pregnancy is a happy pregnancy and an easy pregnancy and I can just dance and twerk and shake and no, you can't always do that. Sometimes you feel like my grandmother, when she was pregnant with my mom, she said she felt like death warmed over. 
It was so hard. She felt sick as a dog all the time, like, and tired and, you know. So, yeah, it's, you know. But then you have Kiki Palmer. <laughs> She's having, she is living her best pregnant life. I'm like, oh, I want a pregnancy like that. <laughs> like pregnancy goals or something. Like she, look. I mean, I don't know if it's all an act because you know she is an actress, but that's some dang good acting if that's an act. Because she looks so happy and yeah. glowing and just energetic and blessed and just doing all, I, I'm so happy for her. Like I want every woman to have a wonderful, happy, exciting, wonderful experience being pregnant, but it's that's just not the reality. Yeah. So yeah, you gotta take that into account. Like I told you what happened with my mom. They wanted her to sign a contract saying that if she well, were to- Well, you know to, you have to give this whole story now because yeah. because we, we had a, 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 a car ride conversation from the airport. So right. first, um, your your. Your mom, introduce who your mom is, mm -hmm. actress, uh, known, and, and please share. I would love to because I think that, you know, a lot of people need to be given their flowers, especially while they're still alive. Like, you know, my, my father has passed on, and may he rest in peace, power, and paradise. Um, and he deserves all the flowers, all the bouquets, um, most definitely when it comes to um, music and um, proto-rap and uh, spoken word and activism. But my mom deserves her flowers too. She was an actress during the black exploitation era. I'm using air quotes. Um, and she was in a lot of different movies as we discussed. Cleopatra Jones, uh, Mandingo, uh, Skin Game, what was the one that you saw that she was uh, Black, in? Black Gun. Yeah, um, with Jim Brown. The, the, she was on a Good Times episode. Yeah, where, uh, where she, she was, was JJ's girlfriend. And it was an episode that. where the couch got burned. And they were trying to figure out who was responsible for the hole in the couch being burned. It was it Michael's chemistry set. Was it Thelma's cooking? Or was it my <laughs> mama's cigarette when she sat down on the couch? Her character's name was Mandy. And then she was also on an episode of uh, The Love Boat with Suzanne Somers. And she was also on Streets of San Francisco, a really short-lived uh, spinoff called Ozzy's Girls. It was a spinoff of Ozzy and Harriet, um, but it didn't really work out. Um, so it only lasted a few episodes. But yeah, she was in a lot of stuff um, from 1970 to 1980. So yeah, um, they... You know, she ultimately left the business because they wanted, allegedly, they wanted her to sign a contract uh, releasing them from all liability and responsibility if she were to miscarry or uh, lose her pregnancy as a result of the roles that they were going to be offering her. So she declined, and that was that. She never looked back, and she's been living her best life ever since. I am not mad. She is very much uh, not on social media, She, mm -hmm. but she has a lot of fan pages. I let her know. I go, Mom, look, you know, and she's very grateful, but she's kind of shy. I mean, no one would think that given her her mm -hmm. career and, like, what she ended up, you know, what she chose to do, which was modeling and then acting, but yeah, she's actually like in real life, IRL, she is super bashful and shy. And, yeah. and I said, but mommy, you're never shy with me. She's like, you're my baby. Like, yeah. so, you know, luckily I didn't have to like break through that, that shell. Cause yeah. she's, but I've seen her with other people. Like when she would get spotted in the grocery store or at the beach, they'd be like, aren't you Brenda Sykes? And my mom would be like, Yes, but oh my goodness, how, you know, I used to see you all the time. You know, what happened? And my mom would be like, oh, well, I have my baby here. And, you know, I just decided to be a mom. And they'd be like, oh, okay. And they'd say, you look so good still. And my mom would be like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> thank you so much. You know, I would see it. I would see the shyness and, like, she would be, like, wanting to get back to the car. Like, she did not want to engage. That's funny. But she's, you know, she's very modest and sweet. And, um, yeah, I think she deserves flowers as well for that's what great. she did and then what she chose to do. Yeah, that's very admirable. And um, it, it's so tough. And, and this is where 
when we think about uh, even in that time, when we think of women's rights, um, what uh, the strides made in the past 30 years that seem to be like just common sense things. Uh, you know, I'm 40 now, so I remember being a, being a kid looking at the appointment of Clarence Thomas and just looking at just mm -hmm. even the way the back and forth. Yeah, like, I'm right there a, with you. Uh, I'm 42. It was it was like a the 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 spin even from uh, our current president. Our current president even before running was like, let me apologize to Anita Hill for mm -hmm. for the way that. Senate, yeah. um, Congress, and even television framed it from, you know, women be lying. That was basically right. the whole oh, yeah. framework Absolutely. at the time. Because there was had. no Me Too. There was no Time's Up. Mm -hmm. There was no hashtag this or that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was, you know, very much like blame the victim mm -hmm. or, or you're just making it up. Just like they would tell black people about us being beaten. Yeah. And, you know, brutalized by the cops. Oh, Very yeah, much. you're exaggerating. You're fabricating. You're, mm -hmm. you know, you're imagining it. And then we see it on video all the time now. It's and, like yeah, and we were telling the truth all the time. No need to exaggerate. Yeah. It's bad enough, ain't it? Very <laughs> very much so. And uh, so it's just something to think that, uh, that, that things that are commonplace and human rights issues, because that's the other thing. Like, a lot of this falls under the anchor of human rights. Mm -hmm. Um that should exist, and even more sad, it's like even with the Phil Kavanaugh uh, hearing, I, basically, oh and that's after the Me Too. It was right. the same. It was the same, same thing. situations, the same way. Um, and pivoting, you you led right into like you not being shy. You said you're gonna carry this legacy on and and engage with this. So when you started after the passing of your of your father, what were some of the pieces you wrote? Nia, share with us some things, and, and how did you go about, what's your creative process? Oh, man. You always, like, do these compacted questions. Yeah. It's, like, so dense. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah. Um, I mean, basically, like I said, when my father passed, I felt like it was important to... he. You know, the thing about parents is they always want to protect their children. And so one of the last discussions we had before he passed away, he was like, are you sure you want this? And I was like, well, with and without you, I've been doing this for a long time, Dad, even you know, while working at UCLA. I know you want me to just have a nine to five job, but you know, I just feel very, it, it feels natural to me to be on stage. And he was like, okay. If you're sure you want this, then I'll, you know, I'll make some phone calls and we'll get you in the studio. We'll fly you out to New York and get you started on mm. an album. So um, the fact that he had confidence and believed in me before he passed away meant a lot to me um, because I opened for him at, you know, Yoshi's six months before he passed away. Mm. And um, it was a piece called Hot and... Um, I mean, I can do a little bit of it. Yeah, do a little bit of All right. My pop skill, Scott, is hotter than a heister trying to sell you a laptop with the serial number scratched off. He's hot like touching a stovetop with no mitten. Hot like y'all too young to cook, but y'all still in the kitchen trying to see what grandmama and him fixing. So hot you can't resist, and he's like 100 degrees in a black SUV with the windows rolled up and stuck and no work in AC. Forget the jacuzzi, he's hot like pure steam. And me, I'm so hot even my lyrics sweat. I'm so hot I got thoughts burning on the back burner that I ain't even thought of yet. Like Nikki Giovanni, I'm so hot even my errors are correct. I'm so hot I don't even need spell check. I'm hot like a grenade that's missing its clip. Hotter than a bomb that ticks. Hotter than buttermilk biscuits. I'm hotter than a teenager's armpits when they're getting their first kiss. I'm hotter than HDTV. I'm hotter than July. I'm hotter than your thighs after your mama done hit you with the switch like 55 times. <laughs> and then I go about talking about my daddy and me together, how when Ooh, we team up, the, we're yeah, even hotter than that. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, my um, pleasure. Very creative. So, as I say, what's your approach? That was like rapid fire, it was rhythm. What, what, when you write, do you write? Do you just freestyle? What, what's your that one was actually in response to my dad um, because again, he would always push, you know, like, 
you know, do you want this? Are you ready for this? He always questioned not only my ability in terms of talent, but my, just my ability to handle everything that comes with it. And so this was me kind of showing him, listen, I can handle it. I'm a dragon lady. Dragon lady spit fire. What's up? What's good? You okay. know what I mean? So it was me like letting him know what's up and what's good. You know, so that was the catalyst for that was me just trying to let him know what it, what it was. And so that's my thing, too. I, yeah, I guess my process is anything that triggers me. It's like a, a grain of sand that agitates an oyster and then the oyster secretes those, you know, uh, I don't know, those that, that hardens and makes a pearl. I'm saying I'm saying yes, but right? that Animal Planet episode I completely missed. So okay. please enlighten me. <laughs> okay. There's a process. The reason why some oysters have pearls in them is that despite how like clammed up they are, their shell Every now and then, a little grain of sand gets stuck in there, and you know it's very soft on the inside of that shell, and it agitates the tissues of the oyster. So it starts secreting a substance that coats the grain of sand so that it can't, you know, agitate it anymore. It can't rub up against mm -hmm. it and, and bother it. So the secretions uh, harden over time, but they're very, you know, smooth you know again to prevent irritation of the oyster and it creates a pearl wow i never knew that yeah see you get all types of information on detroit is different <laughs> so i'm the same way um as a, a pisces i am a water sign and when things agitate my spirit uh my the thing that you know i secrete is lyrics and mm. yeah and words and poems um, until, you know, I'm no longer agitated anymore. And if it really helps me, I share it with other people. And ultimately, my, my wish is that it helps them in some way. And a lot of them come back, they respond to me, and they tell me. And, and especially on YouTube, it's so fantastic now that I have a YouTube channel. They tell me in the comment section. I get to see in real time from all over the world, from Germany and Norway and Sweden and all these wonderful places, South Africa. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing. That's I like doing that. And, and, and you speak in this, so I'm guessing you've been writing – if that's just your process of like dealing with uh, life coming at you, you've been mm -hmm. writing much longer than this, uh, than when you were telling your dad, hey, I'm about to get into this. Oh, yeah. No, I'd been writing all through college. I um, The first poem I wrote was uh, when the Rodney King beating occurred. Uh, mm. I, w I wrote a piece called World, World War III, mm. and I questioned the... Um, actions not only of the police but the response to the verdict and because we were shooting ourselves in the foot we were cutting off our own nose to spite our face I mean and yeah it was because we were apoplectic and we had more than enough but the result was still the same that it was destruction in our own community so it kind of like we hurt ourselves because we were already hurt <laughs> so it, it's interesting how you drive me to another one of those points because you just drove me right into we almost lost Detroit. Right. Um, and it's a it's an excellent documentary uh, co-produced by uh, Rest in Peace John Singleton that I want to say is on either CNN or TBS about the 25-year anniversary of the L.A. Rebellion. Mm -hmm. In Detroit, we often use rebellion because of the frustration. And then also, we push back on the concept of, like, how much are these communities our communities when the ownership and the, and, and the equity in this community uh, is not, it, it's not shared, but we're imposed upon. We're, we're, the, we're, we're the consumers. We're the customers. Mm -hmm. we're, the, we're the people that live here. We're, mm -hmm. we're the tenants. Mm -hmm. But being the, 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 the owners, the business owners, uh, the producers, that's mm -hmm. rare. Um, and looking at that documentary only heightened more of 
what I remember hearing and, and recalling from different people sharing their own stories of the rebellion here. And um, to speak to that, uh, how how did seeing that at being there in, you know, how did that impact you knowing that, seeing some of those communities and that happening? You know, you, you immediately went to writing. Mm-hmm. Well, because my mom kept me out of school. Um, I remember my cousin was trying to help get someone from, pick someone up from work. And on the way, there was so much uh, smoke in the air that she came home with a headache from like, just, mm. yeah, just from all the bad, the, oh, the air quality was terrible for days after that. And I don't know, I just... You know, it's like I saw it from both sides. I understood we were mad, but at the same time, it was like, this helped us how? <laughs> like, is this, you know what I mean? So, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, it was, you know, appealed and the right verdict was made. But in the interim, it was like, you know, it was very slow, the rebuild, because the community it was in, we were talking about that, how we're sort of like, the last to be thought about, you know what I mean? When it comes to that, you know, resources go elsewhere and we're almost like an afterthought. So it was a long time before these places were, you know, sort of like clean, cleaned up and rebuilt and made into other entities, you know what I mean? Where there was a thrifties, it became like uh, a save-on, which then became CVS, which, you know, so it's just, yeah, it's still the same thing. It's just a different name. Mm. Same BS, different branding yeah. on yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and that happens often uh, when we think Absolutely. of the black community and, and the impacts of it. Right. So in that, writing to performing, what's the difference? Do you do you write, uh, when, when you're writing a piece that it's like, okay, I'm going to perform this, or okay, this is just for me. What's the difference um, in that? Yeah, I don't always know right away, um, but I <laughs> I tested out on the people that uh, whose opinion I trust and who matter a lot to me. Um, so I have a writing partner in Texas. His name is Larry Mayfield. Shout out to Larry Mayfield. What's up, Larry? What's up, Larry? Um, so hey, Larry, as we always <laughs> say on the phone, hey, Gia. Hey, Larry. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, he is a very astute, and he's an abstract poet, but he's, I don't know, he's very good at, like, gauging my stuff. And the stuff that he liked that I later went on to perform other places got a, the bigger response than the other stuff that I like for myself that I share. I'm like, okay, that's just gonna remain just from, and for YouTube. That, the ones that don't really make it are the ones that I then put on YouTube because I, they're all my babies. So I all, I feel like they all deserve something. Mm -hmm. they, they deserve to exist somewhere outside of my notebook. Okay. And if it doesn't help everybody, maybe it could at least help somebody. So that's my process. Okay, yeah. and, and now uh, that did, what was your dad's process? Did you ever get to see that or explore that? Mm -mm. That I couldn't tell you. Mm -hmm. He he definitely talked about it though in terms of like uh, the spirits. He and you know, huh, funny enough, I've experienced that since myself. I first read it in like uh, some liner notes of his, and I was like, the spirits. What is my dad talking about? You know, and I was very, like, you know, a teenager, you know, angry at my parents anyway, like, you know. A rebellious like, teenager. Yeah, yes. and, you know, it had gotten out and had become common knowledge that my father was a crack addict and was, you know, just not together, you know, and was missing shows and canceling shows and, you know. So, you know, I just had very little respect for him at the time. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not being a father to me, you're not being an artist either, what are you? Oh mm -hmm. yeah, that's right, you're a crack addict. So mm -hmm. he was just like, okay, you know, we were very like uh, apart at that time, but I was still looking at his stuff. Mm -hmm. 
because it was there might as well you know and i'm reading this stuff and i'm like what is he talking about the spirits and then like a year later again something triggered my spirit and I end up writing, I wrote this piece called Fading Into Black in like, literally, like we had periods in high school and each period lasted 45 minutes. And I wrote it in 40 minutes. Like I wrote it before the period was even over. Um, and I remember thinking, who's writing? My pen was moving so fast I was like, am I even writing this or is someone like writing this for me or like using me as a vessel? Like I ended up saying later, like um, sometimes it feels like you're the pen in God's hand and he's using you as a vessel to say something that needs to be said. So that's kind of what it felt like. Um, and the first time it was buried like, I didn't recognize it for what it was, but when it happened again, when I was writing hot, I was like, okay, it's the spirits like helping me, using me as a vessel and like, yeah, carrying like my message through, making it even more potent. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think that that's what my dad, he was really tapped in because it hasn't happened to me like that often, mm. but I, from what I understand in my dad's notes, like, you know, in the excerpts from things he's written, it happened to him quite often. He knew how to, because he was a Buddhist, so he knew how to meditate anyway. He and my mom did a lot of chanting. Both my parents were Buddhists. So he knew how to um, meditate, quiet his mind, and allow himself to be a receptacle. And so, yeah. You believe in that stuff, and and, and I actually want to ask a, 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 and you frame it and respond. I believe, but the, my next question is: Do you believe that the spirits are always in discussion? Are, are they always present? And more so, it's us having that skill set to mm -hmm. to center ourselves enough to uh, be present to what's beyond the physical reality because that's getting into like existentialism mm -hmm. metaphysical sciences and things like that yes esoteric but um yeah i believe that they are always there um there's a veil and it's a spectrum um that we're all on in terms of our ability to tap in and you know yeah, try to like cross through the veil or allow them to cross over mm -hmm. um, through the veil or pierce the veil. We all have, you know, varying abilities to do that um, and to be able to tap into those communications that the spirits are having. I know there are so many times <laughs> whew, that, uh, that I shouldn't have made it. Like uh, there was a building that I was in that was shot at nine times and uh when we, i mean we all no, luckily no one was injured or killed but um yeah it was just really i don't know it you know gives you PST, ptsd but basically when i stood up from the sawdust that was on the ground when we all hit the floor there was a hole that was in the wall that was directly when i put my feet in the footprints that i had left in the sawdust had I stayed standing, it would have like shot me in the neck and I'd have been gone. I'd have been out of here. So that, that reminds me of like that scene from Pulp Fiction where, well, I, I like Pulp Fiction, but, but I the like scene, that movie basically too. it's the same, like that happens where it's like something you recognize, okay, something else stopped this from happening. Right. But I don't exactly know what it is because our form of communication may not necessarily be in that same realm in connection um, it's limited definitely so so with that <clears throat> since going on going into diving deeper into this journey of performing uh performing what you write what has it been like and you said your dad said would you be ready you know but first let's just go to what has it been like how do you appreciate it 
Oh, man. Well, listen, you're asking me in 2023 and then like not to say that I didn't appreciate it before, but like especially now, oh, my God, after so many <laughs> years of being shut in and things being closed and not really be, being able to perform except for virtually, it has been a blessing. It has been so much fun. It has been just like a re rebirth kind of mm. Um mm. And it's, yeah, I mean, I'm just so thankful and grateful and blessed and happy and upbeat and optimistic about the future. It just makes me want to give even more, you know? Mm. But yeah, it's been a blessing. It's been fun. Okay. Yeah. What What are some of those things you think your dad was saying you need to be ready for? Snakes in the grass. Because even as careful as he was, he didn't even spot all of them. I'm having to fend off the ones that were left behind, that were left mm -hmm. over, that he didn't catch, you know? So, um, yeah. And it's just the same, you know, thing that he cautioned everyone at his concerts. He'd often say, be careful where you get your information. Um, make sure that where you're getting it is a reputable source vet the people who you choose to have around you. Make sure you don't have a George Santos on your team, you know, or a Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, uh, or a Logan, uh, Lauren Bobar, or Kevin McCarthy. You know what I mean? You gotta vet these people because they may be out and out liars, they may be out only for themselves, or they may just be, you know what I mean? Just out for a come up and you don't wanna be you know, the person that has to deal with the fallout as a result of trusting the wrong people or having the wrong people around you. Um, and yeah, be careful where you get your information. Make sure that it's from a vetted source, not just one source. A source can report anything. Make sure it's being repeated by three or four other sources, you know, and that they're all basically saying the same thing. It's still not the true story, guys, but at least it's the story that they're deciding to go with. You know what I mean? It's what they've all agreed is going to be the narrative. Um, it may not be the real narrative, the true narrative, but it's the story they're sticking to. You said vetting process. What what is what's your vetting process of of like when you uh when you connect with other artists to possibly work with or mm, um, mm -hmm. let's just stop there. I Google their names. Okay. Um, I check their um, platforms. I check to see if they've put out anything that, you know, I can view. Um, and some of them though are local and I've seen them in mm. and around town anyway. So yeah, but now that I'm starting to get you know, people are starting to reach out to me from other cities and stuff. Yeah, I Google them. I check to see if they have anything uh, online, you mm -hmm. know, either written or them performing via video. So, yeah, there are ways to check. And then as far as I thought you were going to ask, how do I vet, like, uh, when I'm researching or, you know, a certain topic or something like that, like I said, I make sure it's, like, you know, not just, you know, truth social that's saying it like i make sure that or twitter i make sure facebook i make sure that it's like <laughs> the associated press the washington post the new york times the la times like you know reuters like i make sure politico i make sure that like multiple sources are saying it so yeah yeah i i, I think um i think it's it's so unique, especially when we think of the last president, Donald Trump, and the way he presented the whole concept of what fake news is. Uh, I, I do believe that- If uh, fake news were a person, that's, yeah, it would be Donald Trump. Like, he was the embodiment of fake news. Like, he oozed fake news. And I, I think that's where, like, I, I usually get into some very interesting discussions with a bunch of people, and I'm definitely not wearing no red hats or anything, but I think the premise of- when I look at the legacy of the United States, the president of the United States of America, and I'm thinking the man that's in hospice care right now, Jimmy Carter, probably seems to be the one that possibly had some honesty. Yeah. But even with President Carter and some of the challenges of what happened to, I don't think a lot of Americans even understand historically, Iran right. and the position of Iran and what happened with the Shah of Iran. 
and uh, the role of Ayatollah. Yeah, like so. And I mean, I'm I'm getting real nerdish, but the traditionally president of the United States of America is a position that telling the truth probably not going to necessarily align with. But I do like how you said uh, you can you can look at the 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 collective story that will be told and that is something that can at least give uh some perspective Mm -hmm. but uh i'm big on as you say vetting i say exercise critical thinking and exercising that critical thought can be a um it's 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 very surprising uh it's very surprising how when you read between the lines you can tell what it is they're not saying you know what i mean it's it's critical thinking uh, i look at it like like running like you have to exercise it so that when so like when a story presents itself what was it three weeks ago here's a classic one a story presents itself that says chinese chinese balloon Flying over America, right? So as you say, what's not said, right? It's like already with this whole concept and and how America propaganda and politics and business kind of already good goes to create adversarial relationships. Exactly. So we've already been conditioned to look at China as if it's an enemy. We've been already conditioned as an adversary. Yes. Right. With and and this is all running in critical thinking, symbiotic idea of the the many Chinese uh, business people and even the Chinese government hold hold uh, most of US patents and they hold a lot of our debt. Yes. Produce produce most I think they own like ninety percent of our debt. Our, Our our aviation systems can tell anything in the sky. Uh, I, my thought process is being that there are at least currently, I want to say like 60 bases from most corners of China. So I assume if anything were to lift off the ground past 100 feet in China, America knows immediately. Right. So for something to fly into the middle of the country, right. America knew this anyway. So what, why is this story even a story? Other than the idea, but it's like these are the things that are going on. Like when people were saying, like, I my think critical they were hoping like, pop, we pop, wouldn't pop, pop, notice, pop, pop, pop. or we wouldn't, you know, be able, or we wouldn't be able to distinguish it, or we just like passed off as like whatever. Think, but once we were like, that, what the hell? I don't think they did. I think that really? that story was presented as propaganda because I had some of the most like regular hood gangster people I know saying like, oh, China trying to take it to us, and I'm thinking to myself. First off, you don't really care anything about international diplomacy. I don't think you know anything about right. the Chinese People's Republic. I don't think you know anything about aviation. <laughs> I, I also don't think that you realize that a weather balloon cannot necessarily be manned to to fly. Right. Also, China Unless is the biggest producer drone. of drones. Right. Uh, so, like, I mean, it's so many critical thinking things going through. But I have right. homies that are straight up like, oh, China trying to take it to us now. Mm. Because they've already been conditioned through, hence the power of this media. Yes, like, I think they the have them confused is. with North Korea and but their even, missile testing. But even with, like, even when I hear about that, and I think of, like, when you study history, hence the asset of being in spaces like this through books. And, and it's, history exists usually in books, but you can get history in other ways. My favorite is talking to people. Yes. But um, if most Americans were aware of the ways that the United States government bombed North Korea in the conflict of North Korea, I think it would be so eye-opening to understand the adversarial relationship of most people in North Korea because the amount of bombs, and it's funny, the general that did that, I collect old magazines and stuff. Okay. (laughs) The general that led the regime change at that time over the North Korea conflict was based out of Michigan. It was more bombing than North Korea. What? Yeah, it was more bombing out of North Korea than the American, uh, the America has done up to that point. The like up till like basically some of the current conflicts that that exist, but it decimated that nation. Yeah. Was, uh, as bad as uh, Hiroshima, and Nagasaki, but most Americans don't know this. Most Americans just are thinking, "Wow, why don't North Koreans like Americans?" And it's like, well, oh, historically, no, I'm not wondering it's that. a relationship right. that is a broken relationship. Absolutely, Jeez. you know. Uh, so you know, these are these are just the things that go on. Like in my process, like your vet, your vetting, I always try to say, "Okay, does this 
you know, what are the critical thinking questions? What, how, when, where, why? And then furthermore, if I go and layer deeper with that, and then a layer deeper with that, and then a layer deeper within that, usually I get to why am I even being presented? Because that's the other question I sometimes always say. Why is this a news story today? Right. You know, what about this makes this the lead story versus the second story or the third story or, you know, always like right. at the end. Why of the, this and why now? Yeah. The end of every nightly news story has like some like, you know, it's a dog that helped. Um, An old lady cross the street. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, after I'm, I'm basically being frightened yeah. For for 28 minutes. Right. And for the last two minutes, it'll give me something to be like, well, America's right. doing well. And it's like, okay, right. I'm, I'm in I'm in toxic shock <laughs> just because I, I, I think I think we, we I think that I've been presented that Emotional Russia, manipulation and stuff. That Russia right? may start a nuclear war, China may start right. a war. Right. Um, you know, uh the Republican Party is looking to cut uh Social Security and Medicare. Right. Uh you know, I've watched twenty eight minutes of this and then right. I get two minutes of Hey, hey, happy time. You can donate. You can get a a, a, a puppy for free. So, right. At know, this local shelter. Like, exactly. Yeah. I can't process. But I, I think know. this is the the ways where uh, people such as myself in independent media or corporate media have to be very intentional about these messages, already knowing the, the conditioning that exists and lies Dude, in most people. they have a billion dollar multi-billion dollar industry where they study our brains and what we respond to like Mm -hmm. this you know how we respond to changing in stimuli and how we respond to different tones that's why in those stupid friggin commercials for prescriptions different keytruda and different that's why their voices are like this side effects may include Nosebleed, vomiting, death, constipation, diarrhea, headache, nausea. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're saying it's so calm, though. You know, because they're not gonna be. It might make you crap your pants, man. <laughs> then we'd be like, "Oh crap, I don't want that." You know yeah, what I mean? But so, but if they say it calmly and sweetly like this, and then it's like you know, you're more like, "Oh, that's not so bad. Maybe I should ask my doctor if Keytruda is right for me." Like you know Hilarious. what I mean? You're more you know apt to. And they study that though. They study exactly oh, how much so. sweet versus salt they should put in snacks. Very, and very much so. Come I on, mean, man. I mean, in the science, and yeah. Why yeah. do you think every so often, even if they haven't changed the ingredients, Seven Up or something, be like new packaging, same great taste. You know what I mean? So it's like they because it's to keep us. Well, Seven Up just stif- completely change in stimuli. Seven Up. It's, it's funny you mentioned that. Seven Up just completely rebranded to a drink called Starry. So if you're walking through the aisles and you see this starry drink and they just basically were one of the biggest sponsors for the NBA All-Star Weekend last weekend. So if you see that drink, that drink is 7-Up, you know. But also, uh, I mean, it it sometimes Formerly known as (laughs) 7-Up. Sometimes happens for business reasons. Um, Right. You know, like, here we go. It always goes back to money yeah. come on now if you're always if you're wondering mm-hmm. why 90 percent of the time it's money 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 Here, here's something that i think most americans don't realize even detroiters okay so general motors at one point in time was the largest business in the world general motors yeah. was such a large general motors was almost like larger a- than Amazon. the nation like yes, Amazon, yeah. larger than larger than probably like three Amazons right now. That's how large General Motors was. General Motors was so large, people deciding to run for president would have to meet with the board of General Motors mm. before they'd even make a decision to run for president. Now, that was the old GM, and I don't think people noticed this. So if you look at General Motors logo right mm-hmm. now, it's a lowercase GM. Because oh, yeah. the uppercase GM was the General Motors that after the stock market crash of, what was that, like 2008, Eight, 2009. Yeah. That's when the bubble burst. The, all of the, the pensions, all of the debts, all of the contracts, all the suppliers, all of the business was with the old GM. So there are still currently a lot of lawsuits with that entity. But the new GM, the lowercase GM logo, that's, all that's you a whole do? new entity. I don't think a lot of people know that, like me and marketing and logos and taste making. 
That's what a lot of times people do. It's like you got like a whole shell is in that movie Boiler Room. You got like a whole they call it like shell company where it's yeah. like we're going to switch everything over to here. Right. Legally, that still exists, but I'm still going to profit over here. So if you if you worked at General Motors I'm like your grandfather for thirty over years, here, right? Yeah, like people like your grandfather worked right. there for thirty years, want to get a pension, right? And guess what? We lost a lot of money, so we bankrupt that, over here. Sorry, yeah, we broke. Yep, yep. But over here, I'm still doing business, right? They and, crying and, broke yeah. over here mm -hmm. while making bank over here. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a that's a savvy move that's often done in America. That's a loophole, you know? man. A lot yeah. of people take advantage of, or a lot of corporations, I should say, take yeah. advantage of. Yeah. But corporations are people. They try to act right, like they're not. Right. They try to but act I don't, like it's different. You know, I don't want to get it. I like, got you. I got you. You know, distinguish between us, the people, we, the oh, people, oh, okay. and them people, them I types of people. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. But I also yeah, like different to, kinds of people. True. true. <laughs> they a whole different kind of person. True. True. Yeah. Um, so with this creatively, as we get closer to a close, what are you looking forward to? What what will be next? What What's hmm. exciting you? What projects? What in those spaces? Okay. Well, yeah, I'm going to be doing the Be the Revolution series, event series, honoring my father. We're going to be starting in Chicago on wow. what would have been his 74th birthday on That's April good. 1st, okay. which is also the first day of National Poetry uh, Month. So. Okay. Yeah, we're going to be kicking that off in Chicago. Then we're going to be going to uh, Lincoln University on April the 20th. Mm. And then we will be, um, we're, I'm trying to solidify a date in Washington, D.C. Because, you know, he lived around the mm -hmm. DMZ for a while and talked a lot of crap about D.C. too. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to be ending in New York City on May 27th, which is the day he transitioned. Mm. So, yeah. Okay, so with that, what's going to be included in this? And then you go into our, I call that our sibling city. Okay. I, I think Oakland is our twin city, mm. but I think Chicago is our sibling city. And you know how, like, you you kind of sometimes have sibling rivalries. Detroit right. and Chicago, oh, wait, we are. <laughs> At each other. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's, it's in good love. It's just right, like right. a sibling. Absolutely, know? right. But um, what what will it be? What uh, Who's going to, what experience will it be? Sure. So there's going to be, uh, of course, myself. I'm going to be singing um, some of his most iconic songs, including The Bottle, Home is Where, Where the Hatred Is, and Johannesburg. I'm going to be doing uh, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised and Whitey on the Moon, as well as some of my pieces, um, including Hot, that kind of, you know, honors him and talks about he and I as an artist. And uh, we also have a couple of other poets slated to perform. I'm actually um, hoping in some, I, ha I don't have him confirmed for all the dates, but uh, his name is Avery, and he is actually Gladys Knight's grandson, and mm. he's going to be singing background vocals with me on some of the songs. So I'm really wow. excited about, yeah, what we're doing. So, yeah. Um, and I'm also working on a sort of a spoken word mixtape called hmm. Mixed Emotions. Interesting. And we're personifying. I like that title. Yeah. We're personifying different emotions. And um, it's personification, like you're speaking from their standpoint. Like if you were love, what do you think love would like say that. if love were a person? I like that. And what, if hate were a person, a human being, like what kind of personality would hate have? How would he or she present his or herself or their self so yeah i i'm in charge of fear fear and i mean sorry love and hate someone else is doing fear and courage mm -hmm. and another person is doing truth and lies hmm. so uh, very interesting I, i'm 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 there in both projects definitely if you're gonna be that close to chicago detroiters are like you need to be coming to detroit oh, so i could already know oh. that we'll be having some conversations i need a with venue here. you guys <laughs> i need to know where yes. i yes so yeah. we, we'll, we'll work that out we know some people in dc too so we'll we'll, we'll, we'll okay. figure out some stuff That's what's um up. and uh that, that all sounds very creative very fun last very question exciting. always is how do people get in contact with you Absolutely. So there are several ways. Um, my Instagram is geologic, which is G-I-A-L-O-G-I-K. 
Um, and you can also, you know, slide in them DMs, y'all. I'm also on Facebook under my government name, which is Gia Scott Heron. And YouTube as well, Gia Scott Heron. And, yeah, that's pretty much it. Because, yeah, I don't have a Twitter handle because mm. Twitter can't handle me. And <laughs> like I said, we dragon later, you know, dragon lady spitfire. We don't tweet, yeah. we spitfire. So, yeah. Uh, I don't right. get along with Twitter. <laughs> I don't like being limited or restricted to 140 characters or less or whatever it is. And then I heard it's like ghetto over there. They be wowing, hey, posting you know. all kind of nonsense. I yeah, don't have time Twitter, for all of that. Twitter is uh, definitely an open space for uh, free speech, as they say. Mm -hmm. so you get you getting a lot of not just people, people masked as corporations. In, exactly, in, in, a lot of information out that way. So. Mm -hmm. And fake check marks and all that you mm -hmm. can get there. The, the, the sure. Uh, yeah, Instagram is G-I-A-L-O-G-I-K. And uh, Facebook and YouTube are just my government name, Gia, G-I-A, and then Scott Heron. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, thank you so much. We're going to close for the Detroit is Different portion, but after, it's going to be questions and stuff. Y'all going to have to come to the next event because Detroit is Different, Source Booksellers. We're going to be doing this again, having a lot of fun. That's thank dope. you so much. Peace. Yeah.